I was kind of waiting for someone to read our scripture this morning and think I'll do that now. Turn in your Bibles, if you would, to Matthew chapter 6. This is on page 685 in the Pew Bibles. And you are all supposed to have had a sheet like this this morning. Does everybody have this or has this been handed out yet? That's what I was thinking also. Um, could we, could someone please <laughs> make sure that these get handed out? Does anybody know where Ernie Amonti is? Ernie? Ernie? Pete? Thank you. Could you please start handing those out for me? Appreciate it. Thanks. Appreciate it very much. Okay, uh, Matthew chapter 6, and this is on page 685 in the Pew Bibles. The background here is that Jesus is talking about prayer. And he is in the process of, uh, like it's in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, he's been talking about numerous things in ways in which things need to be corrected. And so if you look at Matthew chapter 5, he says, Things like, the law says this, but I say to you this. Uh, The law says, don't murder. I say, don't even be angry. The law says, don't commit adultery. I say, don't even look at a woman lustfully in your heart. Um, Just numerous things like that, Jesus says. And then when he gets to chapter 6, he begins to correct them on some other things. Fasting, for instance. And then he turns to the subject of prayer. The thing that probably sparked his mind on this is that Jesus had seen the Pharisees praying. And he didn't like the way they did it. And what he was saying was, you you Pharisees sometimes pray, not because you're really wanting to talk to the Lord, but because you want to be seen by men. And so he talks about that. And he says, in addition to praying this way, you also give this way. And so in order, instead of just giving because you want to bless those who need your alms, your gifts, instead you give so that other people will see you give. He says, I don't want that either. And then he gets down in Matthew chapter 6 to verse 9 or so. And he's wanting to teach them specifically how to pray. And he says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Now, I don't know about you, but I originally learned that text differently, a little bit differently, probably from the King James Bible or something. And I learned it in grade one. And I'm not talking about I learned it in church because I didn't go to church. I learned it literally in grade one. And I wasn't going to a Christian school I was just going to a public school, my public grade school. We did two things to start our day. We gave Pledge of Allegiance to the flag of the United States. I won't ask you to do that this morning. And we said the Lord's Prayer. 
Now, it wasn't very long after that, in fact, within just a year or so, that prayer was outlawed in schools in the United States. And so the next year, in grade two, we didn't say the Lord's Prayer. In grade two, all we did was say the Pledge of Allegiance to the flag. And things had changed. I'm sure they're here somewhere. Thanks, Stephanie, for locating parents. So we learned very early that prayer. If you were part of some other kind of group, it's very possible that as your uh, worship service was conducted, like if you were Anglican growing up or if you were Roman Catholic growing up or even Presbyterian or something growing up, you would have said this prayer most likely Sunday after Sunday in your assembly. We don't traditionally do that. It's one of those things that we looked and saw others doing and said, we won't do this. But it's very biblical, both to talk about this scripture and to pray about it. What we're going to do this morning is I'm going to make a few comments about this particular scripture, and then we're going to do something else, head in a little bit different direction. Chris, you can go ahead and turn that off if you want. Thank you. Look at your outlines, if you would, please. Just some comments about this scripture. First, Jesus brings us into close fellowship with himself by permitting us to call God Father. And that's because that's exactly what he does. Jesus calls God Father throughout the New Testament. Now, he does so in a very personal way, not quite like we do. But because Jesus himself calls God Father, we're permitted to do the same thing. And there's a couple of passages there. We won't go through those. Matthew 5.16, Matthew 6.26 that specifically state that we are able to call God Father in the way that Jesus does. And so that's one thing we do is we call God Father and that's how this prayer begins. Now it's sometimes said, going on to number two here, it's sometimes said that the Jews wouldn't call God Father. But that's actually inaccurate. They did call God Father. We could look at Isaiah 63.16 or 64.8 or John 8.41. We won't look at those. But in each one of those instances, God is actually called Father by the Jews. And that's because in Exodus 4.22, it says, This is what the Lord says, Israel is my firstborn son. And because Israel is the firstborn son of God, it permits us to call him Father. And so indeed, that's what we do. Now, what does seem to be the case is that the Jews would only refer to God as our Father and not my Father. And there's a very good reason for that. It's because as a community called to be the children of God, we have the right to say our Father. But when you say my Father of God, it starts to look a little bit too personal. And as it turns out, when we get to the New Testament, Jesus is the one who says my Father, not so much we ourselves until Jesus frees us to be able to do that. Number three, it is true that there is a special relationship between Christians and God for which the New Testament makes allowance, allowing us to follow after Jesus in calling God Abba, 
which is an Aramaic term for father that is particularly endearing and close. What happens is that in Mark 14, 36, Jesus himself calls God Abba. And then when you look at that passage in Galatians chapter 4 or in Romans chapter 8, you find that we also, Paul says, are able to call God Father. And at that point, the term becomes very endearing. And it's not just that we're saying Father as to one who is removed, but one who is, in fact, very close. People have said that this is a translation, actually, of the word Daddy as opposed to Father. I don't know if it's quite like that, but it's getting close. And there's a closeness to this term that, that we can use now because Jesus sanctions us to do so. Number four, but Jesus' prayer actually preserves at the same time the holiness of God, both in saying our Father in the same manner the Jews did, in contrast to my Father, and by saying those next words, hallowed be your name, or holy be your name. And so while there is a freedom and a movement for us, a movement forward for us to be able to call God Abba and to be personal with that, at the same time, we keep a distance. In class this morning, we talked about the Jews staying away from the mountain in Exodus 19 as God came down to the mountain and said, don't get too close. Moses can come and talk to me, the rest of the people not. And that's because he's holy and there is a sense in which we have to constantly keep God in awe. Number five, the holiness of God's name is a reference to the Hebrew word Yahweh and the way in which it was revered among the Jews. If there's any move made in Christianity toward familiarity with God, these words in our prayer balance this out with reverence for God. If you know anything about the way in which the Jews held this name in esteem, they wouldn't even speak it with time. For them, it was incredibly holy. This is this word that's used in Exodus to describe when Moses is talking to the bush and the bush says to God through the bush, says to, to Moses, I want you to go down into Egypt. And Moses says, who will, I send, who will I say has sent me? And God says, you tell them, I am has sent you. And there's a derivative of the word Yahweh that's used there. God appears to have this name special in his eyes. So there is a holiness there that we need to revere God with even as we can call him Abba. Number six, and I know I'm kind of running through this, but it's because I have something else I want to get to. Your kingdom come is a reference to the full reign and presence of God that needs to dominate our world, not a reference to the second coming of Christ. It parallels your will be done as on earth as it is in heaven. And the idea here is that when, when Jesus says, thy kingdom come and your will be done, he's using parallelism there, saying the same thing in different words. So in the one case, he says, your kingdom come. In the next case, he says, your will be done. And it really means the same thing. The word for kingdom is really a reference to God's reign in the world. And the point is that we want God to reign and reign among us now, not just in the end, but to reign right here. We are the people who help God to bring in the kingdom. We work to bring his kingdom into reality today. And this image of the advancing kingdom is central to us as a church. It drives us as a church. Number seven, 
The second half of the prayer, yeah, this is on the back. The second half of the prayer is a caution not to take for granted what we have received. It includes the idea that we should be praying for both our material needs and the spiritual needs of forgiveness and freedom from temptation. But then notice number eight, that the prayer includes one line devoted to material need. All the rest of the prayer is in reference to spiritual things. And I think that establishes for us a priority in terms of the kind of things that we need to be praying for. Now, all of that, that's kind of uh, beginning teaching about the Lord's Prayer. You can take that home. You can do whatever you want with that. What I'm hoping is that you'll have a better grip on what the Lord's Prayer is teaching and what it's about when you go to look at this passage for yourselves. That's kind of all introduction. I wanted you to have a picture of what the Lord's Prayer is about. But what I want more than anything for us to do this morning is to get a picture for what it is that Jesus really wants to say by bringing the Lord's Prayer before us to begin with. Like, what's really his point? Now, we could go through, as I just did, and talk at great length about the different elements that are contained within this prayer. And we could say, well, what Jesus really wants us to do is to model our prayers after him and to pray exactly like this. Now, there's a sense in which that's right. I think he does show us an example of what prayer is supposed to be. He wants us to approach prayer in the same way. And by the way, it's striking to me just how humble this prayer is as Jesus himself turns to God and says, Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. There is a certain humility there with which one approaches God, and we need to take that seriously. In fact, let me say this. Sometimes I'm afraid that there is a real tendency among us to be way too familiar with God and the things of God. I think there's a tendency for us to be way too familiar with His holiness and act like it's not all that holy. I think there's a tendency for us to not take it seriously as we should, even the holiness, for example, of His Word. It's easy for us to hear Scripture read and be doing something else at the same time. It's easy for us to have a conversation while Scripture's being read. But in the, in the days of Israel, would they ever have allowed God's Word to be read and the people to be distracted at the same time? Never would have happened. And I think what that needs to do in us is to raise the profile of what Scripture itself even is supposed to be because this is God's Word that is spoken and read. And we need to pay serious attention to that. For those of you who are younger especially, you know, it's interesting in our society the way that familiarity has become more and more prominent. How many, for example, of you, those of you who are, say, uh, over 40, how many of you typically get addressed by the young as Mr. or Mrs. whatever? Ever? Like, does anybody ever come to you, some child, and say, Mr. Asen, could I talk to you for a moment? We tend not to do that. Now, when people address me, and I think this is wonderful in many ways because it builds community, and I don't want there to be all this barrier between us, and I love the little kids, and I love it that they would consider it perfectly acceptable to come and say Kelly to me. But children don't come to me and say, 
Mr. Carter. It just doesn't happen. Something is different in our society than it used to be. And there is a sense of familiarity that is, is very good, and yet at the same time, something in the course of that, I'm afraid, may get lost. And I think this prayer points us in the direction of maintaining that sense of distance, that sense of respect, that sense of awe. So we need to, folks, we need to teach our children to be respectful of Scripture and Scripture being read. We need to teach our children to be respectful of what it means to live as a part of a Christian community and before the Lord. And to not be, and I, again, I want to have community and I want to be familiar and I want the kids to call me Kelly. But even at the same time as they do, I want them to sense that when they reference God or they're thinking of God or when something godly is being done, that something happens to them. They, they think to themselves, this is different. Talking to Kelly is not the same thing as doing holy things, even sacred things. So we need, to, we need to somehow get that out of this prayer too. But more than anything, what Jesus had in mind here was that his people pray. And his intention is not just to give us a model for how to pray, but to get us to pray. He wants us to be people of prayer. The assumption made throughout this passage is that God's people will pray. The assumption is that prayer will be a hugely important thing for God's people. And when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he does that because he's so central to who we are. He doesn't say, I'm going to teach you how to pray, but it's kind of a sidelight anyway. He, he takes the time to teach his people how to pray because it is so central to who they are as a people for them to pray. And along maybe with some sense of reverence and awe and maybe things become so familiar at the same time, we oftentimes are not as spiritually minded when it comes to prayer as we should be. And it is so easy for us to just go through the routine of a day and to just think about secular things. It's so easy for us to be here on a Sunday morning and to not participate really participate in worship and prayer. Somebody else will come and pray for us. He'll come up and he'll lead a prayer. But in the course of that, are you praying? In the course of that, has your mind turned to him so that prayer, at least for a few moments, dominates who you are as a Christian? Now, I could go on talking about that trying to drum into your heads the idea that we need to pray more. That's what preachers do. We look at each other and say, well, we're not doing this enough, so I'll go tell them they need to do this more. But rather than do that, I want to pray. 
Because that's what Jesus really wants us to do. He wants us to pray. He doesn't want us to just talk about the fact that we're supposed to be praying. He wants us to address Him. He wants us to come before Him. And so this morning, we're going to divide up into groups and we're going to pray. Okay? I want you to, in a moment, I want you to get into groups of five or six or something like that. If everybody in the group wants to pray, great. If you want to choose someone in your group to just lead you, great. If you want someone who will open your prayer and close your prayer, great. I'm going to leave that up to your group to decide. But the important thing this morning is that we take a few moments and we pray. Because that's what God really wants. That's what Jesus was really trying to get at, was that we would pray. Now, some other instructions. Number one, you cannot pray this morning in your groups about material things. Okay? You cannot pray about material things. I want to kind of guide the prayer here. So we don't want to pray, Lord, um, help me get a job this morning. Now, I know some of you this morning need jobs, and we do definitely want to pray for that, okay? Or some of you might need healing. There are ways in which your health might be waning, and you want your health to be healed by God. And we want to pray about that, certainly, but not this morning, okay? This morning, I want you to stay away from prayers that have to do specifically with us uh, as individuals. So no praying about material things. No praying specifically about health. We, I, please don't get me wrong. We pray about those things all the time. But this morning, the assignment is different. I want us to pray, but I want us to pray specifically about our spiritual passion as a congregation. You'll remember a few weeks ago I mentioned that we have in the past taken the natural church development study. And every time we've taken it, which has been five times, uh, passionate spirituality has ended up as the lowest score for us as a congregation. Well, prayer stands right at the heart of what it means for us to be spiritually passionate. And so what I want us to pray about this morning, more than anything, is our prayer life. I want us to collectively be focused on our relationship with God, and not, again, not just our individual relationships with God. That's very important, and we can pray about that this morning too. But what I want us to pray about more than anything is our congregation's spiritual profundity, our depth, our life together with God. Like, are we as a congregation what God wants us to be spiritually? This body of people, are we passionately spiritual for God? Does He live among us? Do we communicate with Him? Is there the connection between ourselves and the Holy One? That's what I want us to pray about. Okay? So I want you to, we'll take a few minutes to do this. We'll get into groups, and at the end of a few minutes, I will close us in prayer. We'll close off this time together of praying. And then we'll continue our worship, okay? Groups of five or six or so, you can choose somebody to lead you. You can choose somebody to start it and finish it. Everybody can pray if they want to. I'll leave that up to the groups. Please pray about our spiritual passion, our prayerfulness in relating to the Lord, okay? Go.
you definitely should introduce yourselves to each other if you don't know everybody in your group, okay? Say hi. I'd like now to close our time in prayer, please. Holy Father, we thank you this morning for the privilege we've had of coming before you. Father, we want to take seriously what it means for us to pray to you. If, if there's any place, Lord, where we should feel comfortable praying, it's right here. It's before you, assembled with other Christians, thinking about who you are and, and what you mean in our life as a congregation. And Father, I pray, especially this morning, that you would make us prayerful people, that you would develop in us a passion a longing to talk to you and to talk to you together. Father, I, I have no doubts but that this was uncomfortable for some of us. But Lord, I'd pray that you would break down that lack of comfortableness and, and make it more comfortable for us to come together before you to pray. W work on our hearts so that we see the value, but more than anything, work on our hearts so that we'll do it more, so that it becomes for us a lifestyle. It just becomes who we are. Father, we don't want to be known as the church who has it all right doctrinally alone. We don't want to be the church that gives away lots of money alone. We certainly don't want to just be the church that meets in a building over on Maryvale Drive in the northeast behind the Marlboro Mall. We would love it, Lord, if you would work among us through the presence of your Spirit to make us such that we're identified as a church that comes to you in prayer, that has been called by you to pour out our hearts before you. And that we're recognized as being that people who does that. So we thank you this morning for the privilege of praying together. And, and help us, Father, think of ourselves as a people who focuses on you. Who comes before you, praising.